0: The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Reach out and touch me. Good morning. I kind of feel with that intro that I might need to work on some dance moves. Maybe dance out here. I don't know. Would that be too... Uh, yeah, that'd be too weird. Sorry, I just answered my own question. Welcome to the Tabernacle. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, if you're new. And uh, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been uh, looking at this series that we've called Personal Jesus. What scripture teaches is that we have a God. There's one God who exists eternally over all things, and that he made the earth, he made everyone in it, he made you. And the problem has kind of erupted with us in that we've gone and disobeyed God, and we've uh, brought sin into this world. But through our disobedience, we have sin and destruction, and, and uh, you know, we live in the fallout of our sin. But Scripture also teaches that God loved us so much that he made a way for us to have a relationship with him. You see, the problem is, is that God's a holy God, and I'm not. Is God's perfect and I'm not? Is anyone perfect here? Okay, good, because the door's back there if you are. You can let yourself out. (laughs) None of us are perfect, right? And so how do we bridge that gap? And God made a way for us uh, to bridge that gap. He bridged the gap that we couldn't bridge. He sent his son, Jesus, right? He sent his son, Jesus, to be perfect for us so that we could have a relationship with God, so we could have a personal relationship with God. And so although Depeche Mode wrote a song kind of sarcastically about a personal Jesus, how you can't find your personal Jesus in anyone here or anyone in this universe or in anything, they're right, but you and I can have a relationship with Jesus personally because he's a person. And so that's that's where we've been going. He came to save us from this desperate situation that we find ourselves in. And that's why on Palm Sunday they waved those branches that were symbols of hope because they needed to be saved. Jesus came to save us. He's a savior. He saves me from my sin now and eternally. Jesus came to save you and I so that we could have real life now, but that we could also also live with Him eternally. He's a savior that way, He's a redeemer. And he did this because he loves us so much. That was the symbol of the heart, right? That Jesus climbed up on a cross and died a horrible, tortuous, sacrificial death to pay for our sins, to pay for every bad thing you've ever done and every bad thing that's ever happened to you. So not just so you can have forgiveness, but so that you can forgive. Whoa. That's what he did for us. That's how much... He loves us, so he saves us, and he loves us, and he's real. He's real. On Easter, we celebrated his resurrection, and remember, he ate the piece of fish in front of his disciples to demonstrate that he bodily rose from the dead. He just didn't theoretically rise from the dead. He's not just a great idea, right? You know, he's not just a construct of, well, you know, these are some good ideas and some good principles for how you can be good, whatever that is. No, he's real and he's alive today. Do you believe that, church? So he's tangible, he's alive, and he's personal that way. And for those of us that believe he came to save and have that hope and and, and we believe in his love and choose to love him back and we believe he's real, he continues to teach us. He's our teacher. And remember, he called his disciples to follow him. Rabbi Jesus says to us, follow me, let me teach you. And that was symbolized by the footsteps of you and I following behind the master. And we're taught by his word. We're taught by his spirit. We're taught when we come together to worship. We're taught by fellow disciples who can be Jesus with skin on to us and encourage us or rebuke us, right? So we can be taught by this tangible, real Jesus. And so where we're going today in this last message is probably the piece that holds it all together. This personal Jesus came to be personal for every single person in the world who chooses it. So it doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter if you're married. It doesn't matter if you're divorced. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. You've been a Christian for a while or you've been a Christian for a minute. He came to be personal with you. So to start with, I'd like to go back to the very beginning of Matthew. I'm not going to flash the scriptures on the screen. You're going to have to take my word for it. You can look it up later. In Matthew chapter 1, I want to take you to, the, uh, to this moment before Jesus was born. It's this really cool moment. An angel appeared to his mom. Her name was Mary. She's a teenage girl, probably 14 or 15. And the angel appeared to Jesus, remember, and said, you're going to have a child It's going to be a miracle baby. How's this going to happen? I've never been with a man. I'm engaged, but that's not going to happen for years. Don't worry. Nothing's impossible with God, right? And this child will save his people. This is the Messiah. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, Mary, right? But the part I want to dial in on in Matthew chapter 1, do you remember what the angel told Mary to name the child? She said, you will give him the name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. Isn't that cool? God's coming in flesh to be with us. Emmanuel. Just say that name. Just say Emmanuel. Emmanuel. It means God with us. Then you go into the middle of the book of Matthew. I'd say it's either in Matthew chapter 10 or 18. You can look it up later. But there's this oft-repeated scripture that I keep repeating to you. Later, now Jesus is an adult. He's been born and he's an adult. His ministry is progressing. And he tells his disciples, he tells his followers, where two or three or more are gathered in my name, I will be with them. God with us. Did you catch that? You catching this theme? Emmanuel, say it again. Say Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. And so at the beginning, the angel says his name will be God with us. He says, where two or three or more get together in my name, I am with us. And then at the very end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28... Some of the very last things he says to his disciples before he leaves. Before his ascension back to the right hand of the throne of God. Some of the last instructions he gave to his disciples. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Ever heard of that before? The whole make disciples thing? I hope so. It's part of the mission of our church. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then catch this. He says, and lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Emmanuel, God with us. Say Emmanuel again. Emmanuel. Are you see in a theme here? He was promised he would be with us. He said, we're two or three or more gathered. I'm going to be with us. To the very ends of the age, I'm going to be with us. Are you tracking? So where we start today is in the book of Acts. How does this personal Jesus still with us? Some of his other last words are in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven that he wanted them to go to Jerusalem. And in verse 8 he says this, But you, speaking to disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Did you catch that? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus promised us he would be with us and he promised us power. That's where we're going today. How does Jesus really become personal for every man, woman, and child here? Every man, woman, and child who calls upon the name of the Lord, you can be empowered by Jesus, that's when he really becomes personal. Not my power, not my effort, not my discipline, not my memorization, not my good works, not how much I give, not how holy I look, not how much I dress up on Sunday, not how little I cuss, drink, smoke, or swear. I'm empowered by Jesus. He says, you will receive power when my spirit comes upon you. If you continue to follow that story, and I encourage you, even this afternoon, read into chapter 2. Something amazing happens. So Jesus ascends into heaven, and that, that was pretty amazing in and of itself. Oh, look at this guy, right? And then they're like, well, what do we do? Go to Jerusalem, do what he said. We're supposed to wait for the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just stop there for a second. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, Quick theology, you can handle this. It will give you a brain freeze, kind of like when you're licking ice cream too fast down at the Dairyland, right? It's going to hurt a little bit, but here's the Trinity. Orthodox Christianity teaches this. This is what we learn from Scripture, is God eternally exists as one, but in three persons. Or as the scholars will say, three persons, one essence, not three gods. We don't believe in multiple gods. There's one God. But God the Father is not God the Son, Jesus, and God the Son, Jesus, is not God the Father. All right? God the Father is not God the Spirit, and God the Spirit is not God the Father. Jesus is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not Jesus, but they're one. You dizzy yet? You with me? Just hang on. With man this is impossible, but all things are possible with God. And so God the Father sent Jesus on a mission. Jesus accomplishes mission, said, I'll be with you always, and, I'm, and, and you're going to be empowered by me. We're empowered by Jesus. And the way we're going to do this is then Jesus returns to heaven, and God the Father and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit on a mission. And in Acts chapter 2, it says the disciples were together, and they're preaching, or, or they're praying, and while they're praying, It was on the day of Pentecost. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit came. It was like the sound of a mighty wind blowing through that place. And what appeared to be tongues of fire rested upon each one of their heads. Pause for a second. When we get to heaven, I've told you about the movie room that I hope is there. These are one of the tapes I need to check. Not because I don't believe it, because I want to see that. Bro's hair's on fire. Look at all these dudes, right? They're praying, Holy Spirit, win. They got a little, you know, and I've seen some bad art that's got little flame thing, or I don't know, what is it, a halo? Is it like a little nuclear thing? I don't know. Their head explode. But they got, they got flames on their head, right? It's a symbol of this power of God that's descended. And then something else happened. Now, hold on. It says that they all begin to speak in tongues. Now, I know some people, they're like, listen, I'll give church a try, but if people start doing jibber-jabber and rolling around on the ground, one of them crazy, I'm out of there. Yeah, I, you know, we mess up things sometimes. What Scripture teaches is when the disciples spoke in tongues, they were real other languages. Because everyone that was there from all these different countries, they came out of that room full of the Holy Spirit and they all began to preach and all these different cultures and different languages that had all come to Jerusalem heard the gospel preached in their language. That wasn't jibber jabber. That wasn't angelic stuff. That was Greek and Hebrew and Latin and Scythian and every other language you can imagine. God had a purpose. His power was being displayed. They were empowered by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. And the reason I draw your attention to Acts chapter two is because what happens next is one of them, Peter steps forward, he gives the sermon of his life and when he's done preaching, it says that the crowd was cut to their heart. You know that moment when you hear truth and you're like, what do I gotta do? I'm a wicked sinner, we crucified the Messiah. And they're like, what do we do? And Peter gave them specific instructions and they're the same instructions for us. He says, repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. He didn't say repent and then learn a bunch of verses and then pray really hard and then get your life cleaned up, right? And then be perfect and then come to an altar sometime and if you beg enough, somehow you'll, you'll graduate from junior varsity to varsity and then you'll get the spirit. You notice he doesn't say that. He says repent, be baptized because that was the symbol of repentance and the Holy Spirit comes to live in you in that moment. Friends, listen to me. Like I said, it doesn't matter your age. doesn't matter your marital status. It doesn't matter young, old, how long you've been a Christian. The moment you repent and turn to God, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, if you're a Christian, lives in you. You're empowered by Jesus. That's His name, Emmanuel. He said, two or three, and not only you, but all those around you, two or three or more of us, he's right here. We're empowered by Jesus. And not only that, he said he would be with us till the very end of the age. Why do we keep praying, asking Jesus to be with us all the time? Oh, I never thought about that, did you? Lord, be with us today as we drive to Grand Rapids. Why? He said he was. Does he have to repeat himself a million times? It's his name. If you're a Christian, he's with you, he's with us, he's with us individually. He empowers us personally. We're empowered by Jesus. So what does that look like? Well, first of all, I'll tell you what it doesn't look like. When I was a little kid, uh, growing up in Haiti, we had different missionary compounds, little Fort God outposts all around the island. And the one on Lago Nav had this uh, uh, cool little, uh, uh, what I call a vehicle graveyard out back, right? Right? where all of the vehicles that once the tropical heat and the humidity got to them, eventually they gave up the ghost, right? And so what they would become for the missionaries is a scrapyard where we could keep all the other vehicles running, right? And what was cool is when you're nine years old and a kid, and you don't have internet, you don't have cable, you don't have television at all, right? That was my playground. There was a Willys Jeep that looked like it came from World War II, right? That it was probably at Normandy and then got shipped to the missionaries, And it was up on blocks and the engine had been totally cannibalized, but it still had a seat with springs sticking out, a front windshield, you know, a a steering wheel and a stick shift. And I could sit in there and I drove from Normandy all the way to the Eagle's Nest. My little imagination just learned how to, and it was, you know, I'm dreaming and I'm hoping and it's great, but here's the reality. That Jeep never moved. (laughs) That Jeep had no power. That jeep was engineless. It was fuelless. It wasn't going anywhere. Many of us, that's how we live our lives. Like we're hoping and dreaming. We're trying to make our own way. There's no power, though. We think we're moving, but it's all in our mind. You know, people around us are like, "Oh, what a sucker." <laughs> right?" And the reality is is that it's available to us. If we've become a Christian, the spirit lives in us. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead. What does the Spirit do? First thing the Spirit does is it regenerates us. We're regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We're changed. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. That means the Holy Spirit shows us the sin that the Father God and Jesus wants us to correct. And you know what? By the the way, when you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, it's a whole lot more motivating and powerful than if I do it. It's not that I'm not going to talk about sin. We're going to talk about sin a lot. But if I tell you, you know what you should do? You should do this. You know what else you should do? You should do that. All I've done is should on you. And if you don't like me, you'll go somewhere else, right? And if you don't like me, you'll say, well, forget it. But if God through his spirit empowers you and say, man, that is sin. Whoa, that is heavy. You're cut to the heart. What must I do, right? So the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. You'll know that you'll know that you'll know that God wants you to make a change when you just can't get away from it, when it haunts you. The Holy Spirit guides us. We can go to the Spirit and His Word and, and say, I need direction. I need you to lead me. And the Holy Spirit will respond. God always answers prayer, right? The Holy Spirit encourages. The Holy Spirit fuels us. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts in order to serve other people. And it's not power from us. It's power from God. We're empowered by Jesus. Empowered to do what, though, beyond that? Just to be a good person? Specifically, what am I empowered to do? Well, back in Ezekiel, we get another clue. This prophet lived hundreds of years before Jesus. And inspired by God he uttered the very words of God in the form of a promise of what would happen to people who repented and believed and the Holy Spirit came to live in their lives. This is how it reads in in verse uh, 26 of Ezekiel chapter 36. He says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So quick, quick little recap there. The first thing he said is I'm going to give you a new heart. Before we knew God, we're driving the Jeep up on blocks. It's like we have a heart of stone. We have an engine of stone. There's no power. There's no fuel. We're dead in sin is what it says in Romans. Romans. But then when the Holy Spirit comes, when we turn our life to Christ, when I choose to follow God, forgive me of my sin, I need your help, I'm given a new heart. And many of us have experienced it just in the last couple months or last couple years. When you're like, you'll say things to us like, I cannot believe I'm in church, I don't want to miss it, right? Why? There was a guy just two weeks ago that's like, I don't ever want to miss Fight Club. I just started coming to Fight Club and it's changing my marriage. It's changing my life. I got to go to Fight Club, man. It's just, I I didn't know how to study scripture before that. Why? He's been given a new heart. When you're sitting here going, "I, I can't imagine ever even wanting to be in church. Why am I hanging out with church people? I always made fun of them. They were the worst. I got better things to do on Sunday, but now I want to be there. Guess what? You know that you know that you know you've been given a new heart. Isn't that cool? That was promised by Ezekiel, that you would be given a new heart. And the new heart would empower you. What did he he say? Empowered to walk in my ways and obey. What is obedience? Obedience is love for God. When you're empowered by Jesus, he empowers us. We're empowered to love God. If I'm empowered to obey God, my obedience is love. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And some of us read that as, oh, I better obey so he knows that I love him. Yeah, but more it's saying, if you already love Jesus, obedience is going to flow naturally from that. It comes from the new heart. So if I'm empowered by Jesus, I'm empowered to love God. Now calm down. It's not all going to happen at once. But as you walk with Jesus and you're empowered by Jesus, you'll find more and more you're empowered to obey him more. You're empowered to love God more. You know, I've said before, if God isn't real and Jesus isn't real, this is a colossal waste of time. In fact, I'll go even further. Maybe you don't agree with me. If there is no God and Jesus isn't real, there is no good reason to be a moral person. Take what you want steal what you want, lie to who you want, sleep with who or whatever you want. If there is no God, there's no reason to do all those things because there is no good if there is no God. But because there is a God and I love this God, I want to obey God. I want to please Him because of how much He's loved me and because He's given me this new heart. This is how we're empowered to love God. And you can do it. With God's power. You can't do it on your own. You see, some of us want to prove how much we love God by trying real hard. We clean ourselves up. We lie to ourselves. We put on the mask. We grip it. I can do this. I can kick this addiction. I can kick this habit. I can figure this out. I can figure women out. Good luck. Not because they're bad. Because they're just intricate right? And if you're a dude, you ain't. <laughs> but empowered by Jesus, you can figure out how to love the wife of your youth that's been given to you by God, because we're empowered by God, right? Since I'm using marriage as an example, I'm just going to confess to you. Just an example, because I love my wife, there's things I do that I thought that I would never do. Men, with me? I'll give you a not-so-graphic example, but Um, I clean the kitchen a lot. All right, I'm glad she's blessed. I I, I don't clean the kitchen because it's very manly. Except that I love my wife, and I'm excited to get to be married to her. So, man, I clean the kitchen like a boss. Right? Because I want to please her. And I'm obeying my love for my wife when I do that. It's the same thing with God. There's things that you're like, well, I'll follow God, but I'm not doing this. If you're not willing to do anything for God, you're not done learning the full depth of your love for him yet. You wanna kick a habit? You wanna you want eradicate sin in your life? Stop trying to not sin. Ask God to help you love him more. God, would you release your power in me, your power to love you more? Since I was talking about cars, I'll go back to this. Fast forward from the nine-year-old playing in the Jeep to a 17-year-old who's now been driving for about a year, Plymouth, Indiana. Now, my first year of driving was not spectacular. I had at least three tickets and at least three car crashes. Two of the car crashes, I've told you before, happened in one day. One of them involved a school bus. Calm down. Ice was involved. It was probably not my fault. It doesn't matter but my father's trying to help me slow down. It's just like when we first received this power from God, we're like banging into things. We're making a mess. That's not the time to quit because as you learn more and more how to now drive this thing because now I'm behind the wheel of a vehicle with power. I'm showing myself to be responsible. I was entrusted with More. So after about a year, I'm about 17 years old, right before, you know, uh, uh, my junior year, it, it was just become apparent through our family, to, you know, k- kind of our, what our rhythms were. Mom's working, dad's a pastor, where my dad says, John, here's the deal. You don't have to ask for the keys of the car anymore. I'm going to give you the family truckster. Now, we weren't wealthy. He couldn't give me a shiny sports car or a shiny truck. I'd have probably crushed it. But what he trusted me with, all right, was a 1982 Chevy Impala station wagon, two-tone blue, five doors, leather seats, V8 made in Detroit. She was a beast, but she was my beast, right? And that was freedom, and I had the keys, and now I got to take Jimmy to soccer practice. I got to take Joey to preschool, right? And, and, and now I'm big brother, and, and I'm driving this vehicle, and it was freedom, and it was power. I was entrusted with stuff. And as I showed myself responsible, you know, hey, Dad, I got everybody to practice, but Dad, we're out of gas. Uh, uh, My dad gave me the ultimate, like, little symbol of power. He gave me an Amoco gas credit card. Whoa, now, it was 1987. Gas was 99 cents a gallon, right? Regular, unleaded, America. Remember when we used to drink gas like water? Yeah, good old days, right? But that was freedom. Freedom. I had been entrusted with more power. If I wanted, I could have gotten in that station wagon and driven all the way to California, slept in the back, put all the seats down. I didn't, though. I stayed responsible with my gas card and, and taking my brothers where they need to be. I could drive the whole indoor soccer team to practice in that vehicle. It was nice. You guys, it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. Because remember, the Holy Spirit is a person. Holy Spirit's not a force. You don't get to tell the Holy Spirit when and where they or the Holy Spirit goes. I can't give you the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is God. Do you understand that? So the Holy Spirit's not like the force in Star Wars. No, I'm gonna levitate somebody, throw the lightsaber across the room. Not happening. The Holy Spirit guides. The Holy Spirit directs. The Holy Spirit convicts and encourages. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of God empowering me. But the more and more you and I are obedient to God, the more God releases the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. That's just how it works. You know that thing? That thing you've been hanging on to? That sin that God's been saying, yeah, we need to clean that one up. Yeah, that one right there. You know that thing that you try to, you know, it's that precious sin that we kind of leave over here and we ignore God and instead we go over here and we say, but look at all my good works. Look at all my church attendance. I'm even going to women's Bible study. I'm going to fight club. I went to the retreat. I give now, right? I'm dressing up better. I'm being nice to my wife. I'm being nice to my kids. Look at all these good works. God's saying, yeah, you know that thing? No more power is going to be released there until you obey what I've shown you. That's just how it works. And the more and more you and I are obedient to God, the more and more we're empowered to love God with more obedience. He just doesn't leave us there though. It's not just all about loving God. We get another Hint about this power in Galatians. It's another familiar passage in Galatians chapter 5. He says, But I walk, or but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Again, this is if the Spirit lives in you, you're empowered to love God. And he explains what that is. This is what we've already talked about, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other. That's why I had to take out my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now he's gonna list some of the things that my hard heart wanted to do. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, or, or things like these. So let me pause right there. How many of you have committed any of those sins? Raise your hand. Okay. A lot of honest people, a lot of liars. That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> but uh, the point is, is that when you have a heart of stone, those are the things that we all want to do, right? Maybe not all those things, but whatever. I mean, you're with me. He goes, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So let me ask a question. Let me pause right there. How many of you would like a little bit of that in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, kindness, goodness. How many could use a little bit more of that? Sweet. Me too. Here's what it says. If we live by the Spirit, obedience, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. When we obey, we're empowered to love God, it spills over, we're also empowered to love people. You say, well, where does that come out of Galatians? Why do you need love? Why do you need joy? Why do you need patience? Why do you need kindness or gentleness or self-control? You don't need that living like a hermit in a cave because there's no one to be gentle towards. There's no one to be or there's no one to be faithful to. There's no one to be patient with. God empowers us. We're empowered by Jesus to love God and to love people. That's what we're empowered to do. And remember, he said, Emmanuel, God with us. You see, where Jesus really becomes personal is here. You know where Jesus really becomes personal is not you with your Holy Spirit power levitating things. That's whacked out, heretical thinking. Where Jesus really becomes personal, when he takes up residence in your life through the Holy Spirit, when you're empowered to obey, and as you walk in obedience, he releases his Holy Spirit power, and you suddenly become empowered to love people you never thought you'd love. You know where that starts? In your home. Husbands, wives, you've been empowered, if you're a Christian, to love each other. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a cakewalk. It takes two. No, actually, it takes three. It takes you and the other, and it takes God. He's willing. And if you two are also willing, we're empowered to love each other. Parents, you're empowered to love your children, even the middle one. (laughs) Little Johnny that won't shut up. Yeah, you're empowered to love him, right? Parents, you're empowered to love your parents. Children, you're empowered to love your parents. You can survive puberty. And yes, you can love your little brother or your big sister. You can do that. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons God gave us our family. It's like a little petri dish of learning how to love others. If you can't do it there, oh, wow, it'll spill over into the church and be really ugly. Let's go to the next level. You know where else we're empowered to love people? is in the church. You know, I can't get over how people all the time are like, well, it's me and Jesus, and I don't need the church. You are missing out. You're missing the point. You don't get to skip the church and go, no, 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 I love the world. The church people I can't stand. You're missing something because you're negating the Holy Spirit, Jesus empowering in them, and the fact that Jesus has empowered you, and that somehow, with his power in you and his power in them, that you can come together and figure it out. Jesus called us to be the church, the local church. His prayer was, Lord, I or, or Father, I pray that they would be one. Because by the way we love one another is how people outside the church will see that we are his. You can't do that by yourself living in a cave. That's why we need one another. And you guys, I'm just going to tell you straight up. In our church, there's different political parties. There's different socioeconomic status. There's different marital status. There's people that have hurt one another before you each became Christians, and you can either hold on to that grudge or realize that Christ died for you and Christ died for them and it's time to get over it and hug it out right that's what the church is supposed to be and there's a progression it starts in my family and then it starts and then it bleeds over to my church family this this whole you know empowered by Jesus to love people then it's free to spill out outside these walls then i go show these people the love that we have here and we need all three. We're not called just to love each other and be a little holy huddle and hide behind the sandbags, right? We're not to be little bubble boys and girls, just a little bubble of love. We're empowered to love God and we're empowered to love people. And as we obey him, his power is released more and more in us. And so here's my question for us today. Are you empowered by Jesus? Are you really empowered by Jesus? Or are you empowered by your self-control? Are you empowered by your good works? Are you empowered by how clean you can look to others? Are you empowered by your efforts and your self-help? Jesus ain't self-help. It's Holy Spirit power, man. But God sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus and the Father sends his spirit so we can be empowered like Jesus and empowered by Jesus. And we're empowered to love God. And we're empowered to love people. Are you empowered by Jesus? It's up to you. You can ask. And you can walk by the Spirit, and you can follow. And it's not all going to happen at once. Sometimes you might get in three car crashes, two of them in one day. Your life might hit a school bus. I don't know. But you can have the keys, and you can have the gas card, and you can get off the blocks if you start living on His power and His gas card instead of your own. But you have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I pray that you would give men and women, students, children today, courage to take the next step. God, we need courage because fear drives us. In fact, many of us love strictly out of fear, but perfect love drives out fear. So God, I pray that you would calm our fears. And God, I believe for someone in this room, you're speaking to them about the next step. You're you're speaking to them about that precious sin, the thing that they've been ignoring and pretending that's not there. And God, they haven't experienced more of your power in their life, released in their life, because they haven't obeyed. God, would you help them? Would you empower them to love you? And maybe today to decide, okay, that one thing, I'm gonna get rid of it. It's time. That one thing, I'm gonna confess it. I'm gonna get help, whatever that looks like, but that's gone. Because I want more of God's power in my life. God, as we do that, I pray that you would empower us to love one another. Love one another in our homes. That you would empower us as we obey more and more to love other people in our church. That we would take a risk realizing that we're all children of God. We're no longer slaves to fear. And that we can trust. And we may get hurt, but we can trust that others are also empowered by you. And that Emmanuel God with us is for all of us. And God, as we do that, would you help us, to show your love, your love for people outside these walls with power. God, we ask all of this for your glory, understanding it's also for our joy. And it's in Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen.